You're now listening to Real Talk with Ryan David. What if I told you that you don't have anxiety and that you're anxious because of how you live? Well, in this episode, that's exactly what I'm going to do. First, I'll lay out my case for concern about anxiety. Then I'll give you six specific reasons why you may be struggling with anxiety. And lastly, I'll give you some suggestions about what you can do to address that anxiety if you relate to anything that I say. Let's make a podcast. Hi, how are you? Hello. Hello. What's up with the vanilla face? How you doing? What's happening? Welcome to another episode of Real Talk with Ryan David. I am he and he is I. This is episode one of season two and it's my first episode in five years. That literally makes my head explode. I recorded all five episodes of season one in 2016, but then after a career change, buying a new home, relocating, I had to redirect my priorities and step away from creating and posting content, but I am back. Thank you. Thank you very much. Appreciate that. I'm glad to be back. Looking forward to posting content. I'm finally in a place where I think I can manage both my career and my content. And I have a new studio, so I want to get back to creating and sharing content on a more regular basis. In this episode, I'm discussing yet another topic that seems to be taboo for some reason. And one that I don't hear people having a conversation about enough, a conversation that I believe is super necessary for the well-being of our children, particularly young women. Today, more than ever, I hear the word anxiety being thrown around and used very often as a crutch or a trendy conversation starter for people to connect or relate to each other rather than as a clinical diagnosis. You know, I have anxiety, I have anxiety, oh, I have anxiety, oh, and that's unfortunate that this word is thrown around like that, not used properly as a clinical diagnosis, technically speaking, because when you use a word that should be reserved for a severely debilitating psychophysiological state to describe an experience that you can actually prevent, an experience that is likely self-induced, then you create the perception for yourself to think and feel like things are worse than they really are, almost like a self-fulfilling prophecy where you speak it into existence, which leaves you feeling helpless when you're really not. Now, there will be people who hear this and immediately let themselves get triggered at the thought that someone else is telling them that what they feel isn't real. Pause, time out. That's not what is happening here. I'm absolutely acknowledging that you feel anxious. I'm just going to point out some possible reasons why you're anxious, reasons that you can address that could possibly help you deal with it if you want to. Hence, You're creating the anxiety in your life, and you can undo that if you'd like. But some of you won't because you've incorporated anxiety into your personal identity so deeply that you wouldn't know who you were or how to live if you weren't anxious. But that's a whole separate episode to break that down. However, this idea that just because you feel anxious, it means you have anxiety as a clinical diagnosis is absurd and does a disservice to people who truly suffer from clinical anxiety. That's like someone calling themselves diabetic because they have low blood sugar, 
or someone saying they have insomnia, but they drank 10 energy drinks or a gallon of coffee right before they went to sleep. No, it's self-induced. We all get anxious. We all feel anxiety at times, but the odds that you suffer from clinical anxiety are very slim. And when I say clinical anxiety, I'm talking about a diagnosis that stems from something absolutely outside of your control, such as your biology, your biochemistry, or your brain structure, and it meets the criteria for a clinical diagnosis. What's more likely is that your anxiety is self-induced, self-inflicted, and you feel anxious simply because of how you think, what you say, and what you do each day, things that you have absolute control over, by the way. Your lifestyle choices are most likely to blame for the state of angst that you live in. Now, that doesn't mean that you're not actually thinking about something that is nerve-wracking or that you aren't dealing with or facing something that is actually quite stressful or demanding, but it does mean that you are the one thinking about those things and how you think is your responsibility and yours alone. But it's much easier to play the victim card as though you're completely helpless and use anxiety as a crutch than it is to take responsibility for your own thoughts. So the only question is, Are you willing to do the work to become consciously aware of those thoughts so that they don't result in anxiety? Or do you want to use them as a crutch and turn to tranquilizers as a band-aid that will never solve your problem? Because pills might be quick and easy, but no pill can be prescribed to change your thoughts. The only thing that tranquilizers do is they temporarily tranquilize your nervous system while a source of the psychological issue goes unaddressed. Okay, so I mentioned lifestyle earlier. And I'm going to be specific about anxiety as it relates to choices and lifestyle in this episode. You want to possibly better understand their relationship with anxiety and make some lifestyle adjustments to alleviate it. But I want to talk about and focus on a particular demographic that seems to be affected more than most by this pandemic. And yes, I said pandemic. And no, I'm not talking about COVID-19. I'm talking about a pattern of thinking and self-inflicted anxiety as a result of the lifestyle we live that is particularly popular and common with young women today. First of all, let me acknowledge that yes, women do generally have a natural predisposition to experience a slightly wider range on the emotional spectrum than men do. That means being prone to more negative emotions, such as anxiety or depression, but also to more positive emotions as well. This is because on average, women tend to score higher on the personality trait neuroticism as well as trait extroversion than men do, according to research in personality psychology. I put some citations and sources in the description of this episode. So some people may point to that information to explain why females tend to struggle with anxiety more than males do on average. And that would be a valid argument. However, I'm going to push back on behalf of young women and girls today and say that this heightened level of anxiety today is the result of more than just a slight discrepancy in personality traits. Much of what's going on in society as a whole with regard to females today seems to be subtly impacting young women in negative ways more than ever. And one of those negative impacts being this increased prevalence of anxiety. And there's evidence that this isn't strictly due to natural predispositions or differences in personality traits. So I want to add some observations I've made to that evidence that already exists and possibly facilitate a conversation that young folks, particularly young women, can benefit from. Now, if it feels or seems like this is an attack on females or young women in any way, for some reason to any of you, I want to ask you to listen to what I'm offering with an open mind, and you'll see that what I'm saying is actually in support of young women and an attempt to advocate for many of them who are possibly struggling for many of the reasons I'm going to share today and who have no voice that's shouting back against the current of our culture. So 
For those of you who are interested and made it this far, here are some factors that I have found to be possible sources of anxiety that are unique for many girls and young women today. Number one, there's a push for women to, quote, fight, particularly for their rights. Young women can be and are being pressured to be on the offensive more than ever, to prove they are a strong woman, quote unquote, by fighting, quote unquote, or taking a stand, quote unquote. Now, as you'll see, I'm all for standing up for yourself and for what's fair. But this particular way of thinking ironically embodies the paradigm that those who fight are strong, which is the exact same paradigm that is responsible for toxic masculinity, where strength is seen as a negative trait when expressed by a male. Hmm. This way of thinking dismisses and neglects the natural strengths of the feminine. The idea that for women to be equal to men, they have to be as strong as men sets women up for failure. It'll never happen. Women as a whole will never have equal strength as men because they'll never be as physically strong as men. Biology and nature say so, not me. And so what? Stop focusing on that, on strength as a competition between the sexes. And of course, strength can be found in more than just the physical, and that's not what people are referring to when they talk about being strong. But the physical is the essence of strength at its most primal human form, particularly in regards to fighting. So in terms of overall strength, men and women will never be equal. Once again, so what? Instead of focusing on or emphasizing that strength comes from fighting, how about we focus on and prioritize the natural strengths and characteristics of women and stop forcing them to try to be men just so they are considered equal. We can have different strengths and still respect each other equally. This push for women to be strong by fighting can cause a young woman, particularly one who is content with her life and not angry or resentful or hurt or interested in fighting at all, to feel conflicted and therefore to feel anxious. Number two, there are more opportunities for women than ever before, such as career choices. And this is a fantastic thing, right? Well, not so fast. As a consequence of all these choices, more people are in a hurry all of a sudden to push young women to take advantage of all these choices. The illusion of choice is that the more, the better, when in reality, the more choices we have, the more apprehension we may feel about making a choice because we don't want to make the wrong choice and be left with buyer's remorse or regret. And the more choices or options we leave on the table, the more likely we are to regret whatever we choose, thinking that one of those other options would have possibly been better. So what are you saying, Ryan? We should eliminate choices for women? Absolutely not. Don't be an idiot. Don't assume. And don't twist my words for the benefit of your ideology or argument. Listen, I am saying that we may need to be a little more cognizant of the impact and the effect that having all these choices all of a sudden for the first time in history has on young girls who aren't necessarily prepared for everyone else to be celebrating this in ways that not only force them to consider more options than they normally would, but also by pressuring them to make a certain choice just because she can that she maybe wouldn't have naturally made otherwise without that pressure. That type of situation could definitely leave someone anxious, especially if they are high in agreeableness and have a predisposition to try and please others and make other people happy, which again tends to be the case with women slightly more than men. This obviously sets someone up to feel a little anxious. Number three, the idea of being an independent woman has basically become code and seemingly interpreted to mean you're better off alone than in an intimate relationship where you might possibly be vulnerable with a man. This has led to many women literally being taught, told, and encouraged to keep their distance from men intimately and emotionally while yet still interacting physically and sexually. 
And what's the possible negative outcome of that, you might be thinking? Well, how about an unwanted pregnancy for a single woman with no partner to help contribute to the well-being of the child and a distant, if not absent, father for the child to grow up with and experience developmental issues in the process as a result? How about that for a few worst-case scenarios, huh? And your best-case scenario would be for the woman and child to possibly develop issues with their self-regard, self-esteem, self-respect, self-worth, dignity, or reputation, just to name a few. Number four. Young women have access to social media and the internet where they get instant access and attention from millions of people based on their appearance alone. You notice I focus on the female aspect of this because generally speaking, female females are using the internet and are drawn to the internet to get attention based on their attractiveness. So they have access to the internet where they get instant attention from millions of people based on their appearance alone. This not only results in the illusion of choice as far as suitable partners or mates, But this idea that there are virtually an unlimited number of options out there for relationships to create connections and string along as many guys as possible with texts and emojis while simultaneously keeping the door open for the next best thing that will never be good enough ultimately leaves you with crumbs of attention from dozens of nobodies and no real meaningful connection at all. This is because not only is it emotionally safer to get attention from dozens of strangers that you keep at a distance detached from the possibility of genuine intimacy, but you also become accustomed to the attention from so many different people online that you avoid investing in a relationship with an individual choosing to prioritize the variety you get from social media instead. All this results in the illusion of feeling connected and special in the moment, for a moment, but ultimately left unfulfilled and empty overall on a day-to-day basis because you don't have anyone meaningful or significant to share your real life with, no matter how much attention you get. It's no wonder that according to multiple studies, young women are more lonely and anxious today than ever before. Number five, speaking of internet access and social media, it's not just interactions with guys and superficial connections based on attention that plague them. Young girls can now see millions of other women and judge themselves based not on real life, but on edited photos with filters of women with surgical procedures to alter their looks. How do you think this impacts the psyche of a young woman who is still establishing and discovering her own identity and sense of self? Well, the first thing it does, ironically and hypocritically, is fly in the face of the attempt by many to prevent women from seeing themselves or being seen as a sex object. It absolutely has this effect because as long as you are marketing your physical appearance for attention, This will always be the case. You cannot divorce the attention you get from the source of that attention just because you don't like the thought that the attention stems from sexual or physical attraction. Or worse, because you want to be delusional and think that the attraction is to some other aspect of who you are or your clothes that you're wearing or something. No. If we're going to help people, we've got to be honest. And I'm just keeping it real. We're not only encouraging that objectification of females, whether we want to acknowledge it, accept it, or admit it, but we are facilitating, condoning, and monetizing it with the help of these platforms. These platforms and this lifestyle of choice, and it is a choice, does not produce unique individuals. It produces cookie-cutter teens who are all attempting to be different versions of the same human meme. So therein lies the anxiety. How can I be myself when I'm pressured to be an internet clone? Number six, young women now have a ton of marketing and advertising telling them that their looks, physical appearance, and body weight don't matter, and that you should love your body just the way it is, whether you're obese or have no curves at all, and that people should love you and be attracted to you all the same. 
While I agree that we should accept who we are and how we were born to the point that we are comfortable in our own skin, comfortable enough to then work on improving who we are to be holistically healthy, by the way. And while I agree that we are all worthy of love, regardless of weight or physical appearance, realistically, the people these young women come in contact with on a daily basis in real life have different standards than what marketing and ads are telling them and feeding them. And the fact is that in general, people don't find obesity attractive. Real talk. And before you cry fat shaming just so you don't have to listen or you try to blame all the people who don't find obesity attractive and you say they've been brainwashed into thinking some things are attractive and some things aren't, here's the truth. Sure, people have different tastes and personal preferences as to what they find attractive. But at the core, attraction isn't something that has been taught or conditioned or socially constructed for people to think. We are biologically hardwired to seek out mates with healthy genes. And initially, the primary sign of healthy genes is, you guessed it, physical appearance. From clear skin to symmetrical features to, yes, body weight and physical build. That's not my opinion. That's based on scientific research. So if you deny that, you deny science. This dichotomy of what young women are being told and sold and what they are actually experiencing is what young women are expected to deal with and make sense of and could definitely, definitely result in some feelings of anxiety. In short, young women are generally being encouraged, if not pushed, to be more like men or masculine, if you will, to disregard true meaningful connection with an actual man by being independent and avoiding relationships, to compete with fictitious examples of female beauty and attractiveness online while being pressured by the social norm to publicly express themselves physically and sexually while still being true to themselves by somehow knowing who they are and maintaining their dignity without objectifying themselves as a sexual object. Good luck with that. That's terrible. In my personal opinion, my personal observation is we are corrupting, ruining, and destroying our young women, and we're doing it under the guise of strength, independence, and equality, and we're calling it, we're calling it, uh, what are we calling it now? Empowerment. Empowered? To do what? The main thing we're empowering young girls with is this burden of anxiety. There's absolutely nothing wrong with being strong, independent, and being treated equally. What's wrong is the obsession with these things for our girls to the point that we don't even stop to find out who they actually are or want to be as young women before deciding their direction for them. We need to support young women to be whoever and however they want to be. And that includes girly, soft, caring, supportive, feminine, or whatever other descriptions that are being forbidden when it comes to young women today. We need to make an effort not to encourage them or pressure them to be something we want them to be just to make a statement of the times. I think sexism has existed for so long, not simply because men viewed women as inferior, which they have, which is obviously a huge mistake, and many still do, but specifically because men viewed feminine as inferior, and some still do, which is a huge error. An error in thinking that many women, I think many women are actually guilty of today, viewing feminine as inferior in their attempt to be seen as more superior. So they're suppressing their feminine aspect of who they are in an attempt to be, quote, strong or more masculine to compete with men. I think that we need to understand yin is not greater than or less than yang. When we are able to allow women to be women, and I say we, I mean men and women both collectively, and and mainly men though, are able to allow women to be women as naturally feminine as that may be, and still not only respect them as equally as we do other men, but value them as someone who can compliment you and make you better as a man, 
that's when we'll all be stronger together. That being said, there are also women who are naturally more masculine without the coaching, training, or teaching, and we obviously need to have the confidence and security, men, to be able to accept, respect, and support them equally as as well. It's not real men that are the problem. It's not masculinity that's the problem. It's ignorant, insecure, inferior men who have a limited view and understanding of the essence of the feminine. And they have self-esteem issues, they have insecurity issues, they have issues themselves, and the feminine is an easy target to feel superior. But but that's the problem. The males that, that view feminine as inferior, they don't understand the essence of the feminine. They continue to misrepresent men in a way that turns women off and puts them on the defensive, in a way they end up feeling like they have to compete with men. You ass clowns are the problem. And fellas... You, we need to be the ones to help put them in their place and self-police. Just like women have to do some self-policing of their own with females who are portraying women in a negative light, undermining any credibility to be respected as they should be because of their actions. But that's another episode altogether. In closing, whether you're male or female, feminine or masculine, I hope that some of what I said today at least made you think and maybe even made you aware of some of the things that you're taking for granted that may be contributing to your anxiety and in particular causing confusion and emotional harm to some young women and maybe even you if you're listening. Look, it's hard to be yourself when you don't know who you are. You don't know who you should be. And at the same time, you're trying to be somebody you're not. We need to encourage and allow people to be themselves. But if we have these parameters set up for young women that are really funneling them to be basically men, they're going to miss a part of themselves. And again, they might be able to compete. They might even actually benefit from that funneling into that direction, but they're not going to know who they really are and they're not going to be in tune with who they are. And they're going to have this conflict, this inner conflict that's going on. And and that's where a lot of anxiety can lie. So I want to hear what you guys have to say. I want to hear your thoughts on this topic. Please share your thoughts with me in the comments to this podcast. Let me know what numbers hit home for you. I'd love to read your feedback about this topic. Obviously, it's going to be a topic of conversation, and there's going to be some debate there because a lot of you all have heard and and talked about and and, and listened to people say the exact opposite of what I'm proposing. And so it's, it's indoctrinated and ingrained in your mind that women need to be every bit as strong as men. And so it's in the opposite direction. What I'm saying is we need to allow people to be who they are. And that, that, that obviously starts with people accepting each other. And it starts with men accepting the feminine, but females need to be able to be allowed to be comfortable being feminine as well. And I just wonder if society's ready to do that. So let me know. Share your thoughts. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe so you get the next episode whenever I drop it. If you haven't listened to the first season, episodes one through five are available. Check those out. I talk about a wide range of topics. You can also check out my YouTube channel, The Ryan David. Wide range of topics over there with the videos on YouTube. Connect with me on IG. If you don't want to leave a comment here, it's easy to connect. IG is great, man. At The Ryan David. You can DM me. Leave a comment in the post below when I talk about my podcast. Let me know, man. Check me out. Connect with me. Love hear from all of you guys until the next episode take care the following podcast was produced directed edited and hosted by ryan david the views and opinions expressed on this podcast are solely the opinions of ryan david they do not necessarily reflect or represent the opinions of all white people all men or all aliens just mine thank you for listening bye felicia you see we're putting the cover sheets on all tps reports now before they go out ain't nobody got time for that hey don't you ever say that again (laughs)